And this morning, uh, I want to talk about God being good and how good's going to overcome in the end. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, me and my husband, Rob, and my daughter, Ola, went for a walk. Five minutes away from our house is an industrial estate called Lomashire Industrial Estate. And in the middle of this industrial estate is a nature reserve, which is really weird. You go past all these building complexes and you know, big lorries and sheds, and then all of a sudden you're walking along a river and there's like blackberries, we saw a heron, there's a little wood, and then there's this big marshland and a huge big pond, and there's these tracks that walk around it and hides that you can sit in and watch the birds, and it's beautiful. And the centerpiece is this park, it's been go- a park pond, and it's been going for a long time, and as we walked to it this time, we noticed a fresh plaque, and I'm a geek, so I love a plaque. It takes me ages to visit a museum because I want to read everything. Um, so I stopped to read it, and I thought it was just going to be an update on like what animals are going on in, in the pond and maybe some opportunities to get involved. But instead, this plaque was saying that two years ago, somebody dumped a fish tank into the pond. And in the fish tank was a plant called New Zealand pygmyweed that looks a little something like um, this on the board. They said this New Zealand pygmy weed isn't native to the UK. I guess that's why it's called New Zealand pygmy weed. And it's got no natural predators. Um, so it grows rapidly from tiny little shoots and it just grows and grows and grows until it creates a mat of vegetation that spreads across the pond. And the plaque was saying that they've tried two or three times to remove it, but they can't. And every time they've tried, a little tiny bit's been left behind and it's just grown so quickly beyond what the volunteers can deal with. And because it creates this mat that covers everything, it's taking the light away from the other plants. The fish have died, the frogs have gone, and the wildlife is slowly fading away in this pond. And as I was reading it down, I thought, but surely in a minute they're going to say, so this is what we want to do, or we're going to raise some money, or we're going to hold this event. But instead it just ended with, we don't know what to do, any suggestions would be welcome. And I went away so shocked, so I researched this pygmy weed, and sure enough, everything they said on the plaque is true. Um, British conservationists are saying, yeah, this weed is awful. They said the best method to control it is to fill in the infected pond with cement and dig a new one somewhere else. They said controlling lakes and canals is nearly impossible. I walked away feeling really sad at this nature reserve, and I just felt God whisper to me, he said, you know, there are people in my house that are suffocated with troubles, just like that pond is being suffocated by that weed. And you know, sometimes it's true, we really do get swamped by trouble in our lives and in the world out there. Maybe just stuff that's happening for us in our jobs or in church or in our relationships, but sometimes it can also be in the world. I don't know how many of you are feeling lost with the news coverage of Brexit. It's really hard to keep up. Or at my work, you know, I I work in a college And every year we have to have safeguarding training, which is about how do we keep our young people safe. But to do that, we have to hear about all the ways our young people could be, and a lot of them are, in danger. And I've I've worked in education for 10 years, so I should know it all, and I do know it all. But every time I have to sit and listen to all the ways teenagers and young people are harmed by people who should be protecting them, I can't fathom it. And every year I find it upsetting I'm sure, like you, you can see stuff that's going out in the world and just be brought down by it. You know, evil can be relentless, smothering, all-consuming. 
And just like the volunteers at that nature reserve, sometimes we look at it and just go, we don't have capacity to stop this. And you know, just like that weed, so much damage can be done by one stupid act of carelessness. One dumped fish tank caused so much trouble. And you know, the Bible knows exactly how that feels. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 9.18, it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I don't know if you've ever had that in your life, where just one person has suddenly caused a whole lot of trouble. One bully can ruin your whole school life. One bully can destroy your whole career if if they're at it. Or sometimes bad stuff just seems to pile on top of one another. Job says, but when I hoped for good, the evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. That can sometimes happen where maybe work's been stressful to the point that you've got stressed and now you're ill and you've had to have time off work. But whilst you're having time off work, a relationship comes under pressure. And just when you think you can't take any more, a family member's seriously ill and then the roof leaks, but you're on less money because you're on sick pay and you can't really afford it. And your things can just spiral and you just think, I just need to make it to the end of this week and then next week will be better. And then next week comes and it's not. That can be a really hard thing to deal with. And it's really funny preaching a message. I really hope this isn't relevant to you. But chances are it is right now, or it has been in the past, or it will be in the future. These seasons of trouble sometimes come upon us. And I want this message to be a message that speaks to us in those times of trouble. And maybe you're not going through it right now, but somebody you love very deeply is. And maybe you're going to hear this to be a support to them. Because I want you to know, and I think God wants you to know, that no matter how tired and overwhelmed you are and how bad things are, good is going to win in the end. Good is going to come through. Even if you can't see a way out, the good God is going to bring good back into your life. See, the forces for evil are strong and cunning and destructive. It's true. But the force for good in this world is God himself. And we can put our hope in him. 1 Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. God is good. And when I say he's a force for good, I don't mean he's like a mythical Star Wars type force out there. Although I do like those movies. (laughs) What I mean is, Whatever good is in this world originated from God. God is the active power, intelligence, personality, love that brings good into creation. He is always working for good. God is good in every way. He is the source of joy, the bringer of peace, the speaker of truth. He is love. He's merciful and gentle to the weak and struggling, and he's powerful and strong to save those in need of rescue. God is good, constantly good, faithfully good. And when he sees us suffering, he isn't indifferent to that. He isn't neutral. He isn't thinking, ah, whatever. God cares about the suffering. God has compassion on those in pain. And wherever God is at work, he is at work for good. And whenever he speaks, he is speaking for the good of those who hear him. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you know, even when we feel that God has left us stuck in a place that we don't want to be, 
The Bible teaches us God is still actively working for our good. To the Israelites who got stuck in the wilderness between leaving slavery and entering the promised land, they were ended up in the place they didn't want to be. But Deuteronomy 8.16 says, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that was a bread that dropped from heaven, manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end? You know, even in places of wilderness and suffering, the good of God still comes through in unexpected ways. So God is good. He is at work for good for you and for me and for all of creation. But then I guess that leads us to ask, if God is so good, why are things so bad? Well, have you got 10 hours? Here's a short version. God is the force for good. He is. But he is not the only force at work in creation. God's will is not the only will that has an impact on the earth. The Bible teaches us there is a devil, the devil, a fallen angel, who uses all of his force and will for evil. And there are demons that work for evil too. But you know, much more importantly for us today is there's your force on the earth and there's my force on the earth. Do you know that you are a force? You have an entire human body. You can use it in any way you choose fit. You have a mouth. You can speak words that are good or words that are cruel. You have money. You can spend it however you want. You can give to a charity. You can give to ISIS if you are clever enough. I don't really know how you do that. Don't do that. But I'm just saying you can. You are a human being with a free will. You have lots of choices each day. What are you using your force for? For good or for evil? Does it depend on the kind of day you're having or who you're coming across that day? Some people are better at bringing out my good than others. That's understandable. That's human. But all our actions and cons- all our actions have consequences. And remember, one dumped fish tank can kill a nature reserve. One careless, stupid sin can do much damage. So even our little sins can cause a lot of suffering out there in the world. Adam broke a commandment and death entered into existence. So I think what the Bible teaches us is that all the pain and suffering and darkness in the world is the collective consequence of humans' decisions. And those consequences are spiritual consequences and the physical consequences. And we could spend hours and hours getting into that, but here's my summary. The world is fallen because of people's choices, and that's why we suffer. But God is good, and the good God is at work to rescue his fallen creation. He wants to rescue those who are being hurt by other people's sins. That's everybody. But he also wants to rescue those who are doing the sinning. That's everyone. God is good to sinners. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. And 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God has big plans for sinners. He wants to call sinners to himself. He wants to save sinners and instruct them a better way to live. He wants to redeem them and restore them. He can't do that to the sinners if all the sinners are wiped out like that. So sometimes we are left to suffer under the hand of people sinning because God is being gracious to that sinner. And he isn't 
wiping them out. He isn't destroying them. He isn't bringing them to a place of incapacity. Because every day that they are free to operate is a day that they may yet choose to repent and turn to God. Now that's hard because every day they get that, if they're in power over you or are making your life hard, that's a day that you are also being compelled to be gracious to them. That's hard. But it comes from a place of God's goodness. In God's goodness, he is allowing evil to exist for a time. So as many people as possible have opportunity to choose to turn away from evil and into the open arms of God. And that's a choice we all have to make. Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So the first thing we have to do is, if we feel that we are being overwhelmed by the darkness in the world and by troubles and evil, the first thing to ask ourselves is, have we made our choice? Have we made our choice to choose God's goodness and his life? Because when we do that, we accept God's full goodness, his full protection, his full blessing. You know, we can't free ourselves from the evil of the world. Only God can. And you know what? I have some good news about that nature reserve. The day after I went to visit it, a friend came up to me and she said, Oh, I saw, I saw on Facebook you were at the nature reserve and I know about that pond. She says, I've heard that Lancashire Wildlife Trust are interested. And if they get involved, they have the money and the manpower and the skills and the cutting edge of scientific research to rescue it. So there's hope yet for my little nature reserve. But just like that pond, we need a great power to step in. You know, it's true to an extent that even sinners experience a lot of God's goodness. The fact that the earth is still spinning today is God's goodness. But when we make our choice forever to say, I belong to God, we get the fullness of God's goodness. Because we step into his hands and we're saying, okay, God, I'm under your power now. I'm under your control. And, you know, I urge you, if there are people here today who are considering baptism, do it. If you know that God is God and that Jesus died and rose again, get baptized. For me, when I got baptized, it was me saying in my own heart and saying publicly, that's it for me. No turning back. I know Jesus is who he says he is. So I'm his and he is mine. And it was a powerful day for me. I'm sure, especially celebrating with my church family and having my church pray for me as I got baptized, I'm sure that the prayers said on that day are still being carried out now in my life. So just, it's a brilliant thing to be offering baptism. If you are on the fence, if you're considering it, I urge you, do it. Make your forever choice. You see, choosing God and letting him be good to us means that we get to experience the same things the psalmist experienced when they wrote things like this when they said oh how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and have worked for you sorry and worked for those who take refuge in you psalm 34 verse 8 says oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is a man who takes refuge in him i know for those of you who have got weary perhaps by troubles in this world Because not all troubles we face are from our own sin. They just can come on us. And it's really hard to keep going when it's been bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Have you tasted recently of the goodness of God? Perhaps you need a fresh bite of God's goodness. And there are a couple of ways we can do that to remind ourselves that, no, God is still good. God wants to refresh us. Even in really bad times, he wants to refresh us with his goodness. One way we can take a fresh bite is 
take your Sabbath rest. There's a command of God, one day in seven, rest. One day, come here to this place as you have done this morning, really lift your eyes up through the worship to focus on God. Rest in him. Let the word be a time where God ministers to you, when God speaks encouragement to you. Every blessing that's read from this pulpit is for you that are here. It's God wanting to encourage you and uplift you. And enjoy the blessings God gives you. If God has given you a home to sleep tonight, be thankful for it. If you have people in your life, if you have an immediate family, thank God for them. Appreciate them. You know, by doing that, by looking for God's blessings and thanking God for them with gratitude, we start to build up our hope again. We start to lift our spirits. And, you know, weirdly, it's the first thing to go. When we're stressed and under trouble, sleep, food, company are the first things we kind of abandon to try and solve all the problems. But don't abandon them. They're God's blessings to you. And by enjoying them and appreciating them and experiencing them, you're actually going to strengthen your soul to face your troubles. And as you do that, you're going to realize something. You're going to realize that the force for good in this earth is way stronger than the forces for evil. The biggest bully in the playground is no match for God. If all the armies of the world tried, they couldn't stop God from moving his little finger. Put it like this, even the darkest, blackest night there has ever been has never robbed the sun from one drop of sunlight. Clouds can't touch the sun. Even the worst evils of this world have never once weakened God. And with one puff of his breath, he could blow it all away. And one day he will. On that day he comes on the clouds of the trumpets. That's the day it's going to go like that. So I ask you, are you exhausted because perhaps you've been trying to beat all this evil in your own power. Because you can't, you know. That's going to exhaust you. Instead, God wants us to pray, pray, pray. And there are two things we can pray when we're feeling overwhelmed. To rely on God's power, not ours. We can say, Lord, God, please do what only you can do in this situation. I acknowledge I am not big enough. Lord, please do what only you can do in this situation. Give God's job to God. But the second thing we can pray is, Lord, show me what good I'm to do in this situation. I can't do everything, but I'm yours, so you show me what I can do. You know, it might not be your job to heal your sick friend, but it might be your job to visit them. It's God's job to heal. You pray but you can visit, you can encourage, you can minister, you can meet needs. It might not be your job to rid your workplace of corruption, but it might be your job to say no when you're called to do something that you know you shouldn't do. You can't fix everything, you can't control everyone, but when somebody asks you to do something that you shouldn't do, you can just say, no, I am not going to do that. We need to recognize that God is God and we are not. Don't try and fix all the evil in the world in your own power, but do pray that God does it in his, because that's what he has asked us to do, to pray. You know, the Bible promises in Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This verse is so important. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who's going to get crushed? Satan. It's not your destiny to get crushed. Some of you don't need to take anything away from this message this morning apart from this verse. 
Satan is going to get crushed. At the end of all this trouble, when the battle's done, when everything has come and ended, Satan is crushed. Not you. That is not your destiny. And who does the crushing? God. God does the crushing. You're not powerful enough to crush Satan. That's not you. That's Jesus. That is his work. But who's left standing on their feet? It's you and it's me. That's how this story ends. No matter how weak you feel or how tired you get or how exhausting it is, good is going to win. You're on the winning side. We need to remind ourselves that evil is living on borrowed time that is ever ticking towards a definite and permanent end. But not you. In Jesus, you've been given eternal life. You're going to remain in him If you belong to God, you're going to live and see a day when there is nothing left but God's goodness. So let's encourage ourselves. The war is ours, even if at times it's losing. It feels like we're losing battle after battle. But you know something? Even when we lose in God, we can win victories. You know, one of my favourite examples of this is the Battle of Dunkirk. It's a really proud moment of British history. But it was actually a retreat. Just to recap, if some of you aren't, history buffs. Dunkirk happened when our army was outmaneuvered and surrounded in World War II in France. And it was realised that unless we made a retreat now, the entire army was going to be wiped out by the Germans. The trouble was that there was only one port left that we could retreat from, and that was Dunkirk. So the army began to move towards Dunkirk, and the German army was soon closing in on us, Churchill thought we might be able to rescue 30,000. But we had a godly king at the time. And on Sunday, the 26th of May, our king called for a national day of prayer. He went on the radio and told everybody, go to church and pray for our army. We need God's help. And people did. All up and down the country, people went to church to pray that God would rescue our army. In fact, they said that so many people came to churches that Westminster Abbey was full and people lined the streets outside leading to the church to pray. And then three miracles happened. Some of these miracles happened just before the day of prayer because God sometimes does that. First miracle, Hitler overruled his generals and told them to halt their advance and give the army a rest. And to this day, nobody knows why he did that. The army was closing in and Hitler said, no, rest. That gave our army time to move further away. The second miracle was on Tuesday the 28th of May, a huge storm came out of nowhere and hovered over Flanders. That meant all the German planes were grounded. They couldn't get in the air to bomb our armies. And it also meant our army had cloud cover and darkness to walk the last 10 miles to the beach. And the third miracle was this. Despite that great storm over the English Channel, a calm settled. They said the water was as still as a mill pond and that allowed every boat in the area to get into the water and start crossing the shore to get our soldiers. And it wasn't just the army boats, it wasn't just the navy, it was private owned boats, yachts, motorboats, fishing boats, paddle boats, anything that could float got into the water and went to get our soldiers back and they started ferrying people backwards at home. They said the English Channel was so busy, it looked like a busy road on Bank Holiday Monday. And in the end, it wasn't 30,000 men who were saved. It was 380,000 lives rescued. 
God did a great wonder at Dunkirk. Miracles happened. Lives were saved. A whole country was united in prayer. And it all happened whilst we were losing. It all happened during a retreat. But that's nothing compared to what Jesus did whilst he was defeated on the cross. Whilst Jesus was defeated, executed by the people of God, if any nation on the earth was going to recognize Jesus the Son of God, it should have been the Jews. And whilst he was being executed and jeered at and mocked and beaten all the time whilst that was happening and he was losing for the whole world to see, Jesus was winning the right to take on the sin of humanity. Jesus was winning the privilege and the right and the power to forgive any sinner who called on him. Jesus was winning his position to be humanity's saviour and redeemer. And it all happened whilst it looked like he was losing. God can turn our defeats into victories, our weaknesses into strength, our foolishness into wisdom. So, are you losing today? Are you losing ground? Have you completely lost what you aim to do? Well, blessed are you. If you go home and read Matthew 5, you're going to realize that losing and being defeated has never stopped God doing good, has never stopped God doing great things. So the Bible teaches us, Therefore, let those who suffer to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator whilst doing good. That's 1 Peter 4.19. If you are losing, and it could be that you are, trust your defeat into the hands of that good, powerful God who loves you. But as for you, you keep doing good. It's what the enemy wants to discourage you from doing all along. Which, by the way, this is how Jesus lived. Even though Jesus knew that one day he will fix all bad in the world and make everything good. Even though he knew he could resurrect us with new perfect bodies. Even though he knew heaven awaited, Jesus always did good whenever he could do good. He never used that as an excuse to rest. Acts 10, 38 I love Acts because in Acts it's full of people describing Jesus to people who didn't know Jesus. So you get some really great summaries of who Jesus is, and this is one of them. Um, Acts 10.38 God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I love that. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Jesus went about doing good. That's what God's like. God goes about doing good. God has lots of good he wants to do. A lot of the good he wants to do has been entrusted into Christians like you and me to carry out. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So if you are suffering, you keep doing good. And if you're losing, keep doing good. And if you're misunderstood, keep doing good. The whole world might not be saved today, unless it is. Whenever Jesus wants to, he's fine with me. But chances are, the whole world isn't going to be saved today. But you and I could still be doing some really good stuff. There's still hungry people who can get fed. There's still guilty people who can be forgiven. There's still tired people who could be shown some kindness and some compassion. 
These small acts of goodness and these big acts of goodness are precious and powerful in a world when there is so much trouble and evil. Every good work is important. Every good deed matters. Every good act is worthwhile. You know, some of those little boats that sailed across the water in Dunkirk could only hold three or four people. I mean, what's that compared to 380,000? But three or four people who lived and didn't die because a little boat set out across the water. How many people who didn't have to grieve the loss of another dead soldier because a little boat set out across the water? You might think you've only got a little boat. But if you've ever experienced it where you've been worn out and tired and just somebody does just that one little thing to show you a bit of love and kindness. You know, sometimes you can be all ready to quit on everything as you've got so much trouble bearing down on you. And one person takes the time to say a prayer with you or give you a really long hug or do a little something just to be kind. And suddenly you think, I'm going to keep going. Isn't it amazing? The enemy can throw so much rubbish at us and yet one kind thing can just make us think, no, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to try again because good is stronger than evil. And you know, for us, when we do our good acts and our good things, it makes God more visible. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. People see your good works. They might not see your theology or what you believe, but they can see what you do. And if what you do is good and helps people, that tells them a lot about the God you worship. So, like Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And Romans twelve twenty one says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You have no idea the impact you're having as you do your little bits of good, especially if people can see you're doing them whilst a lot of bad stuff's happening all around you. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been overwhelmed and suffocated by bad stuff going on, first of all, you're not alone. You're not alone. So many people have had that where they just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Even people in the Bible felt that too. Even Jesus knew every grief that strickens our human hearts. But there are things we can do. We can taste God's goodness and build up our strength. We can pray so that we're relying on God's power, not ours. We can encourage ourselves by knowing that God's going to win in the end. And we can keep on doing good whenever there is good to do. And if it's okay, I'd like to close this message tonight by reading you Psalm 27. I'd really love is as I'm reading this, maybe we just close our eyes and let God have room to just speak his spirit to your spirit. I think this psalm was written to encourage those who have been going through hard times. And it'd be lovely that if you feel like you need re-strengthening from God, if you just say in your heart, God, speak to me and build me up, then he will do that. I wonder if it'd be all right, Daniel, if we could play the keyboard as we go. For me... I find if I'm having to be quiet in church, it helps if there is some noise in the background because the moment I have to be quiet, I feel like my stomach's going to rumble and my shoes are going to squeak and my back's going to start creaking in a weird way and I find it really distracting. So I like the blessing of having some music going. It's not going to make the angels appear, but it can help us to not worry about other things. 
especially when a heartfelt worshipper is behind the keyboard, I think that does help. You never know, maybe the angels will come. So I'm going to read Psalm 27 to you. And Lord, Lord God, you are sovereign over the hills and the seas and the stars and everything. And you are sovereign over every battle and every trouble and every storm that has ravaged in the lives of the people gathered here. And you are mighty and strong to save. So Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you right now to come into this precious fellowship. And as we read the words of your word, Lord, will you make the right words connect with each right heart? And will you nourish each soul with your spirit and strengthen with your love? This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord.